McShane Bible Study, and we are doing days 132, one, sorry, 142 and 143, uh, starting in Numbers 31 and 32. And this is when the Lord has the people uh, avenge themselves against the Midianites. And remember, Baal had convinced the people that although they weren't strong enough, the, the people, the Midianites, which I Balaam? think... Balaam? Balaam, yeah. Oh, did I say Baal? Sorry. Uh, Balaam. Uh, the, uh, weren't they called Moabites before? Maybe Midianites or a section of Moabites? I'm not real sure. But um, they, had, they couldn't conquer the people by sword, so he convinced them to use... Uh, women to slowly uh, divert them from honoring the Lord. And so here they raise up and they kill the Midianites and they kill Balaam. And um, and so, let's see, what, what did I highlight here? 21, then Eliezer the priest said to the man in the army who had gone to battle, this is the statute of the law that the Lord has commanded Moses only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean. Nevertheless, it shall also be purified with the water for impurity, and whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. So this is a cool picture. I, my, my guess is, because they didn't do this stuff with, with clothing, garment-type things, they... Um, but they did do it with these items, gold, silver, bronze, iron, lead. And my guess is because those things were often used in sacrifice. So they had to be purified okay. and, or in idols. And it's just a cool picture. Only that which can stand the fire makes it through. So the, the, just a, a picture of us being purified from the Lord, coming out of the world mm-hmm. into life of the Lord... There is this baptism, continual baptism of fire that must happen in order to purify us. So I thought that was a cool picture. And down in uh, verse 41, And said to Moses, Your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not a man missing from us. I thought this little last bit of this chapter was a really cool picture for our day. We're in a time of massive transition from one age to a new age, from a church age to a kingdom age. And... They were in this period of transition, too. They were cleaning up the last bits in the wilderness. It's very similar in before heading into the promised land. You see that? And so they go on this battle, and they didn't lose a single man. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, right? To, to have a war, a battle, and not lose one person on your army. It's pretty incredible. But just the Lord was with them in, in mighty and powerful ways at this point. These are people who had been through the fire. Their, the older generation had, had died off. And this was a generation that trusted in the Lord completely. And, uh, and then verse 51, And Moses and Eliezer the priest received from them the gold, all crafted articles. And so they... We, we see, and it you know, goes on and on about exactly how much and how, because the, everyone who participated received uh, the, the booty <laughs> from the people. 
Um, the um, there's another there's a better word for that. I can't think of it. Loot. The loot. No, the that one. It's not the one I was looking for, but it works. They, you know, the, that's part of the deal when you conquer people in, in those times. You pillage them basically, mm-hmm. and um, and so this is the pillage. And so they had it set aside. They set up certain rules. This is what goes to the people who are in the battle. This is what goes to the rest of the people. This is what goes to the priests, and this is what goes to the Levites. And so, you know, the, the priests are, are taken care of through this process. And <clears throat> we see kind of a picture of um, kind of the, the wealth of nations, um, <coughs> which is a, later in uh, Isaiah, Zechariah, both talk about this concept of the Lord leaving a wealth of nations for his people. And uh, I think... I read ahead since you're a faster reader than I am, Weston, and uh, we're going to come on that concept again, but you kind of see it here too. And then Numbers 32, and they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So we see here two and a half tribes, again, not fully trusting that the Lord's plan is better for them. Mm-hmm. They know that the promised land is across that river. Mm-hmm. But they're looking around saying, this is good land, we'll stay here. And at first, Moses is outraged because he thinks they're trying to avoid war. And they say, no, we're willing to fight. We just want to, after the fighting's done, we want to come back here. We think this land is, it's, you know, they know they know land. And they say, this is good land and we'll take it. It's a picture of people who, are satisfied with some of the good of God, but not the fullness of what he has for us. Mm-hmm. And they stop short of that. And that's pretty much the chapter. That's all I have to say there. We just read Psalm 75 to 77. They're, they're wonderful Psalms of Asaph. Uh, he, he clearly holds the Lord in reverence and awe, and they're great Psalms about the holiness of God, the powerfulness of God, the coming judgment of God. The seventy-six, he cries out, "God, where, where are you? How, you know, help me," as David often does. Um, but mostly, they're, they're they're psalms of just praise and worship, and, and they're very good. But I don't I don't have a lot to say about them. Um, verse Psalm seventy-five, verse six and seven: For not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So he realizes um, sovereignty, uh, judgment, uh, results. People look to all kinds of things in the world for these things. But he, re- but he knows God alone rises up and pushes, puts down. Next, we're doing Isaiah 23 and 24. And so he's been going through, Isaiah has been giving uh, prophecies of judgment against all the surrounding nations. And a lot of these things are types and shadows for for many times, but particularly our time. And, And so Tyre and Sidon represent 
uh, the merchants of the world. Tyre and Sidon were great merchants. They had shipping industries that traveled all over and they would bring back exotic things. Okay, hold on. And they were great merchants and they had a lot of wealth because of this. And so you see a similar system of very complicated, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being complicated, but a world that has gone after materialism in our day, and you see a judgment against those things, um, and, uh, and and against kind of the rulers and powers that are all about, um, the, I don't want to get political, but the, the, the whole... The, the ones trying to rule the world, it's an extremely fascist system and, and what that means technically, not the way it's thrown around as a pejorative. A, a fascist system is one where government and big business get together and collude to run the country. And that is what the all these New World Order people are about. And um, so you see more and more of, of that going on. And what we see here is uh, a judgment against that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, Tyre and Sidon were not nearly that powerful, but they were the, the powerful merchants of the day. Verses 11 and 12 say, He has stretched out his hand over the sea. He has shaken the kingdoms. The Lord has given command concerning Canaan to destroy its strongholds. And he said, You will no more exalt, O oppressed virgin daughter of Sidon, Arise, a crossover to Cyprus. Even there you will have no rest. So we see judgment upon uh, this way of life. This It's all about God producing a way of life in us. And we're going to get to that in John. Um, but he says, this way of life does not represent me. This is all about puffing yourself up, which is Satan's plan, right? Um, and then verse 18 says, her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. So this reminds me, there's a concept called that the, the Lord has stored for his people, uh, the wealth of nations that he will, uh, he will make available to his people in difficult times, this wealth of nations. Isaiah chapter 60 goes into that. Zechariah goes into that. Revelation kind of alludes to it a little bit. And so this this reminded me of that. Verse 24, he turns to judgment on the whole world. The first three verses say, behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master. As with the maid, so with her mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Do you remember your question, Weston? Do you want to ask it again? No. Okay, yes, is this end times? So, yeah, it's pretty clear when you go through, I mean, some of this applies... To, to very end of end times, um, it, 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 it's the way God moves, and, and it it definitely applies to today. But let's 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 go down to verse eighteen, eighteen and nineteen. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. 
the earth is split apart, the earth is violently shaken. And then 21 to 23, the end of the chapter. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. So some of this, the Lord is absolutely about because we can see um we know you know if, if you, you see revelation 12 we can see the, these um these powers and authorities being thrown down right the same powers and authorities uh paul talks about in ephesian are our battle and we see them here the Lord will punish the hosts of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They will be gathered as prisoners in a pit. So he's throwing them down. If we go back to the beginning, he said, it shall be as with the people, so are the priests, as with the slave, with the master, the maid, her mistress, the buyer, the seller, the lender, the borrower. He's saying this comes on everyone. So it's not a sort of thing. If we, you know, I'm into economics and finance and um, a lot of times when there's trouble, it hurts the poor more than the rich. Mm-hmm. He's saying this is going to affect everyone, right? And so we, we see a kind of judgment coming to everyone. And we see uh, people thrown in the pit. We see the foundation shaken. He said the earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. Remember, we talked about Haggai uh, says it. Hebrews quotes it that uh, the Lord will shake everything that can be shaken so that only that which cannot be shaken will remain. We see the same picture here from Isaiah. And we, you know, we see the Lord punishing those uh, powers and authorities against him, but we see glory before the Lord's glory in Mount Zion in Jerusalem before his elders. Mm-hmm. So him lifting up his people, the many sons of God. You see that? Mm-hmm. All right. And we're wrapping up in First John, the first two chapters. And these are amazing. I, I love John's writing. And he he really focuses, not so much in the next two little books, because they're more just like short letters about... They're more like one page each. Yeah, they're, they're just a letter he's writing to somebody. But in First John and in the Gospel of John, he really focused on the life of God. And he understood that this is everything. And so that that's all that these two chapters is about. I, I mean, not entirely. What is it but, about much? Well, so it's it, kind of short. Okay, well, it's, it's true. It's a short chapter, but it just starts out. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it. So he's talking about there is a, there's a tangible way of living, the life of God. Mm-hmm. And he says that life was manifest to us through Christ so that we could see it, testify it, and proclaim it to you. He says, basically, we now have this life too, right? Mm-hmm. He says, you know, before it was just, it was it existed in heavenly places, but this is manifest to us. We and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
So before it was just with the Father and we were separated, but Jesus has made this manifestation of God's way of life available to us in the here and now. Three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying, if you're not in this life, we can't fellowship with you. So people can get together and say that they're fellowshipping in the Lord, doing church or whatever. But if they're not abiding in this life, then they're, they're not really in it. It's impossible for one abiding in this life to fellowship with someone who's not of this life. See that? That's which we have seen, heard, proclaimed, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. So he said that that's who we fellowship with continually, the Father and the Son. And if you can come into these things, our joy, he says, it'll be our joy. John, I assume he's not giving himself the royal we. He's talking about himself, the Father, and the Son. It will be our joy if you come into this. That's God's plan, right? So he says, I want you to come into this life too. And he says, this is the message we've heard from him, proclaimed to you. Uh, God is light and in him is no darkness. He says, there's two different ways of life, one or the other. You're walking in light or you're walking in darkness. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is important. He's saying if we can say that we're Christians all day long, but if we're not walking in the light of Christ, then when he says we're a liar, we do not practice the truth. That's a pretty strong word, right? Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he says, if we come into this life, then we are cleansed. He's going to talk about this more. And we walk in this light. And I'll just kind of skip to it because he starts with second, with First John 2 saying, well, if you are walking in this light or attempting to walk in this light, then the enemy is quickly going to remind you of your sin. He says, well, for one, yeah, don't live without sin. But he's saying, look, there's going to be sins. Anyone who claims he's without sin is lying. But we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who is righteous. And he has paid for our sins so that we can come into this life. Verse 4 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we walked. There's a couple different things in there. It's like they swirl together like a soup. <laughs> we got, um, on one hand, we have the life of God. On the other hand, we have uh, things that we see as, as the result of sin in the world. And they're somewhat separated, although they, they're they also related. Why do you highlight some in blue and some in purple? Uh, just separating some ideas. Um, so when we... So he's he's separating out the living of this life from sin, while at the same time saying, don't sin. But it's 
in, in when I say don't sin, I mean the the way that is the, what we think of as sins, the result when we do something we shouldn't have done, which is the result of sin itself, which is missing the mark of God, walking not in the life of God, but in in the um, in the way of the world, right? Mm-hmm. In darkness. And so he's saying, walk in the light. Live your life for God, seeking all these promises and all these truths, continually being willing to lay down your life for him. That is walking in the life. And he says, in these things will we be perfected. The love of God is perfected in this. This is the perfect life. Even if on occasion we stumble in sin, which would mean we've stepped out of that. But we continue, we realize it, we repent, the blood of Jesus cleanses us and heals us, and we step ourselves back on that life. And the way this path works is at the beginning, there's a lot of falling off the path. But the longer we're on it, the less and less we fall off the path, right? And so he says, walk in this life. Verse 7 and in 8. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. He says, there's nothing new here. The the whole New Testament is basically just quoting and rephrasing the Old Testament. You know that? The enemy, and it started, what, 300 years after Christ, they started trying to get rid of Jewishness, which means getting rid of the Old Testament. Um, And John's saying, no, there's nothing new. This has always been God's plan. But... Now Jesus has come and, and, and the writers of the New Testament have the Holy Spirit in them and, and greater power and they're able to express things more clearly to us, but they're still not known to us. Like I told you before, I understand you're not getting most of what I'm teaching you, right? But the seeds are being planted and mm-hmm. as, as we grow in the Lord, these things can be made manifest so that they're not just head knowledge, but a way of life. And that's John's main point in this is that I'm trying to teach you how to live a life. I'm not trying to teach you specific teachings. It's not about teachings. It's about a new life. Uh, Behold, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He's saying that on one hand, it's not new. It's always been here. On the other hand, it is new because Christ has come and these then this new life is made possible for us when it was, it was not so possible before. Mm-hmm. verses 15 and through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So he says, you have to make a choice. Are you living for the Lord or are you living for the world? One will be judged, one will be blessed. Which one are you doing? 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we look to sin, they all come down to these three things. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life, right? Uh, Other versions call it lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Uh, It is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So these are the things we're trying to die to, right? And in the process of dying to, we're continually offering ourselves as a sacrifice so that these things die in us, and this new life takes hold in us. 
17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So he says, enter into this eternal way of life now because all these things are passing away. You don't want to pass away with them. And you you want to be a part of the conquering army, right? The one who takes the promised land, not the one that's defeated. The reality is our our carnal man, every one of us, must be defeated. So rather than being just having to go through this along with everyone else, offer ourselves as a sacrifice so that these things are defeated in us and we overcome so that when shaking shakes the world, we're not shaken, right? Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So he's talking about people who had been Christians who are now antichrists. Um, clearly John, along with Peter and Paul, thought you could lose your salvation. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. So he defines antichrist, one who denies the Father and denies sonship. Mm-hmm. Antichrist spirit would get us to believe, well, there's only one Son of God, uh, Jesus, and it's impossible for us to be sons of God. Even though scripture says over and over again, that's God's plan. It's an antichrist spirit would stop us from believing that because if we can't believe it, if we don't believe it, we cannot receive it. Right? We have to believe and we have to seek and then, then he can bring these realities into our life. 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. He says, look, this eternal life is available to you. This is what we've been teaching, but teaching is not enough. You must abide in this life. What does that mean? It means continually live in this truth. Continually seek the Father, just as Jesus did, so that you can live your life in them with us. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he's saying there's always teachers going around with a new crazy teaching. He says you don't need any of them. They're trying to lie to you and deceive you and get you off the path. Simply continue to seek him. The truths that we've given you are enough. Seek him, abide in this life, and you will receive more and more of it. The anointing, the Holy Spirit will teach you. And then the last verse is, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. What is righteousness? It's this way of life. It's the right way of living God has for us, right? So says, live this way and you are good. And you will know that he is good. This is the way Jesus lived. He's made this pattern for us, this life available. Enter into this life. But that's all I have. Sorry this has been a noisy day, but you have anything else? No. God yeah. bless you. God bless you.